podcasting the untold stories of leaders. This is Leader Spotlight, the podcast where we highlight company culture innovators facilitating the future of work. I'm your host, Annette Klosowski, executive coach, entrepreneur, crazy dog person, and health and fitness junkie. On today's episode, I'm really excited. We're having Kelly Windorf join us, and she has a very interesting philosophy about how she works and lives. She's a personal development coach, a motivational speaker. She's a leadership mentor, and I've had the pleasure of actually being in Santa Fe on her ranch where she does leadership with horses, so we'll get to talk a little bit about that as well. So now I'll introduce Annie Brown. Annie is here. She's a blogger. I call you the creative genius and this marketing guru. She's, I don't know if there's, there's not a lot you can't do, Annie. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, excited. How are you? I'm, I'm good and um, really excited to, to talk more with Kelly. I'm a big uh, animal lover, so this is, this is going to be fun. And um, yeah, and I also wanted to mention uh, that uh, to our listeners, uh, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review because it's a it's a small thing that makes a big difference and helps us continue to bring you content about leaders and inspiring people um, that that we interview. Yeah, so please, we really appreciate uh, hearing from you. So we will encourage you to do that. And um, on occasion, we do share some of those reviews as well during our uh, podcast. Yeah. All right, Annie, let's jump in. I'm really, I'm really excited that we get to talk with Kelly today. So I'm going to give you a little bit of her background before um, we have her join in, um, just so you'll have this um, idea of who she is. And then later, we're going to share how you can connect with Kelly and a little bit about articles that she writes and newsletters, so you'll be able to get more information um, about Kelly and her organization. Um, but she has um, lived around the world. She studied with many different uh, spiritual indigenous leaders um, in India, Africa, Indonesia, Australia. Um, she's immersed herself in these multicultural perspectives and has led and honed her passion for empowering organization and leaders. And we'll get to hear a lot more about kind of the philosophies that she really teaches and has um, I guess, really become a, an expert in. She has founded and published a magazine called Kindred. It's an evidence-based publication. She is also a founding partner of Equus, and that is an innovative self-mastery development organization. It's the uh, ranch I said that I had actually been to where she led some executive group retreats that I took there. On. So we're going to learn a little bit more of that from her. And um, it's, it's a bet, an equine-based learning process. It was fascinating. And so I've seen her in action. I've experienced the magic she does with the horses in her programs. And so needless to say, I'm really excited to jump in and have everyone learn a little bit more from Kelly herself. So Kelly, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. Well, thanks so much, Annette. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and um, just great to be with you again, even though we're not here together in person. And Annie, really lovely to meet you. And thank you both for what you do. And um, yeah, it's just good to be here. Well, thank you. Well, one thing that um, really led me to embark on this podcast is to, I meet so many fascinating leaders 
all over the country. And what makes the people fascinating to me is not necessarily what they might currently be doing, but it's kind of the journey and the path they have taken, the backstory. And you have a fascinating one. So I want to start there. I want to have you just share a little bit about your journey, how you, you know, learn to listen and follow your passion. And, and then obviously we're going to get into the 56 million years of leadership wisdom that you study and you apply to your work. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But first kind of give us the behind-the-scenes journey, if you will, with Kelly Windor. Oh, thank you. This is, just feels so indulgent. Um, well, um, I think my, uh, my life always ran in two tracks. The first track was, you know, as a young girl, I was completely horse crazy. Um, and, you know, back in those days, parents, a lot of, most of the parents parented with this, what we, a lot of us warmly refer to as, you know, benign, benign neglect, meaning, you know, I was out early in the morning running around, playing in nature, playing with my dogs and my animals. And, you know, no one really worried about me unless it was after dark and after dinner. So um, the natural world was really, really an important part of my childhood and my upbringing. I was raised in northern New Mexico uh, for most of my childhood. And so it was just, you know, part of my day-to-day life and <clears throat> was exposed to horses really early and, and, and spent a lot of that childhood on the back of a horse or next to a horse or grooming a horse. Um, so that was, that was one track um, and, has, and has remained uh, a track in my life. And the other track was really about um, a deep question that I held even when I was young of, you know, who, who are we really? Um, I was always so struck by this polarity that we seem to walk in as human beings, where on one hand, we could be incredibly creative powerful, loving, um, caring um, people, and on the other hand, could suffer, operate out of fear, um, do things out of that place of fear that may not be good for ourselves or others, um, destroy environments. And so I was always struck with that question, and I was very serious as a child. And so I wanted to know, you know, why did we cut down trees? And why did we hurt other people? And why did we go to war? And um, And it was a question I held um, for, you know, a a very long time. Um, So my father was an archaeologist and uh, kind of a celebrated archaeologist. He worked alongside Leakey. And uh, so that took us around the world a lot. And part of my playground was um, the environments in which he worked, which would be ancient dwelling sites, old prehistoric um, archaeological digs and um, among anthropologists and archaeologists and these sort of ancient worlds of, um, you know, the first beginning histories and stories of humanity, how we walked the earth. And so, you know, whether I was consciously aware of these sorts of narratives, it was a part of just, it was really a part of the, the world that I was in. And um, so I was exposed to a lot of indigenous teachings, a lot of indigenous people, and a kind of much broader perspective of our place on earth and and our place 
on Earth, not just as Americans, but as human citizens and citizens among the natural world. Um, when I was seven, I went to Ethiopia with my father and um, had a very powerful experience there because my father hired an Oromo warrior to guard us as children, my brother and I, um, partly so that the baboons didn't attack us. And partly because, you know, back in those days in the 70s, um, you know, it wasn't it, children, young blonde children could be easily kidnapped because there was a lot of political unrest in those days. And um, so we had this uh, gentleman who was a, a warrior um, who took care of us each day. And I bonded with him in this very powerful way. And it, there was a moment after our time together, several weeks, um, when it was time for me to leave. And he held me very closely and he began to weep. And it, it kind of broke a trance where I had been raised in that kind of conventional mindset that there were, there was, you know, us and them, black and white, girl and boy, you know, all these different polarities of you know, who's family, who's not family. And in this instant, there was this very powerful connection with this man who we did not share the same language. We did not share the same family. We did not share the same country, but we had this bond and it was inexplicable. And I would say that that positioned me from that point on to constantly be, it sort of created an inner compass of um, a direction that was constantly looking for that kind of connection, whether it was in nature or with another human being or between groups. And um, mm -hmm. that, that sort of led me to studying with a lot of spiritual teachers, but also studying with people like Peter Senge um, at MIT, studying with... Um, James, James Prescott, who is sort of the forefather of attachment theory around how we attach to others. Um, Stan Tatkin, who um, he's the author of Wired for Love, who really talks about that neurobiological underpinning of how we create safety with others and how we bond and connect with, with others. So it, it feels like my whole life has been to shape me to be this person who now pulls together these elements of the evidence-based research behind what creates secure functioning between people, what creates safety and connection, which liberates creativity and innovation, um, what brings out the best in people so that they can be their best, most authentic selves, and how the natural world interfaces with that to liberate people into their most authentic, powerful selves. Um, so that's sort of it, kind of in a nutshell. I, about 10 years ago, um, after I, I finished um, with Kindred Magazine, which was uh, uh, you know, 15 years of being immersed in the neuro, neuroscience of connection and, um, and creating positive conditions for people so that we bring out the best in them in our children, in our businesses, in our families, in our communities. Um, I came back to Santa Fe after living for a time in Australia with Kindred Magazine and was sort of at that point where, okay, so the magazine is over. Um, now what is my next 
you know, my big next, what is that going to be? Um, and there was, uh, someone had seen me working with my horses. I, I work with them in a really different kind of way. I do a lot of Liberty work and natural horsemanship work and a, um, the general manager of a resort near where I kept my horse was just passing by and watched me work with my horse. And he, I don't even think he realized what he was saying. Um, but he, he said, you there, you know, I, I don't know what it is you're doing, but I want you to do a workshop for my sales team. And, um, and I just said, yes, I didn't know what I was saying. Yes. to, or why. <laughs> yes, But I just knew to say yes. And, a couple of weeks later, I had the sales team and uh, a bunch of horses together in an arena and just wove together these conditions that I knew would create optimal learning for everybody and would leverage the wisdom that the horse did have and, you know, pulled together this workshop that really, it blew my mind because I didn't know what was going to happen. I, it could have, it could have just failed miserably. It could, no one could, you know, everyone could have walked away with nothing. And instead, people walked away with a whole new perspective on who they were as human beings, on who they were as a team, and what the real soul of selling is, which is basically a transference of enthusiasm and genuine um, appreciation and, uh, and love for what they do and what they are selling and a knowing that what they're selling has value to the people that they're selling it to. And it just kind of returned the humanity and the soul back to something which gave them deeper meaning and purpose and created better outcomes for them. So that was the start of Equus. Um, I have to say, I ran away from it as fast as I could. I did not want to start a business with horses. It's a very high overhead. It's very complicated. There are very many moving parts, but it sort of came to me. And um, in a way, I feel like I was chosen to do this work as much as I might choose to do it. And that required a kind of, I don't know, it required a kind of listening on my part that, wasn't about me, but was about what wanted to happen. And so I've just been spending the last 10 years honing that work and the coaching happens with or without the horses. Sometimes people come here to Thunderbird Ridge and do intensive retreats like you did, Annette, and, um, and, or, or they may just choose to do coaching remotely, you know, on the phone or through Zoom. Um, and then Equus took on another kind of 2.0 when my partner Scott came on board, who, who is just a real, um, he's just a unicorn. He's a terrific uh, coach. He's terrific at business development. He's really loves the land. And so he's really helped to make this ranch very beautiful and quite a special place. So we get to live in this way with the horses and the land and, have exceptional people come and work with us and do exceptional things and then go back out into the world and really make a difference in the world. So that's sort of it in a nutshell. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it is beautiful. I mean, just being there. And I, I know when we first started talking and trying to put something together for the executives I was bringing, you know, it, it was like, what if this doesn't work or what happens because right. you're so dependent on, and you kept saying, just trust me, it, you, there's always something that, you know, surfaces. So I, I do want to talk about 
kind of the philosophy and really that 56 million years of leadership wisdom within the herd and of some of the things that you kind of brought to our group when we were there. But but talk a little bit about that because I think that um, I think leadership is changing in our world now. And I think mm-hmm. we have the yeah. millennials that are coming in that are different. And mm-hmm. I just think what you have really created is something pretty special that could really impact a lot of organizations and leaders. So, so kind of just take us through a little bit of that philosophy and, um, and some concepts of what you do. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at how the culture of the horse, the horse herd works. There's many, many different ways. Mine is just one of those many ways. But my, the lens that I look through when I've determined how the herd works um, is not just through horse behavioral sciences, but also through systems dynamics and attachment theory. And just really, frankly, watching horses in herd environments for, I'm going to date myself now, for the last 50 years, <laughs> um, <laughs> really watch and observe how they organize themselves. And what what is fascinating is they are the oldest, most successful mammal on the planet. They were around since dinosaurs, so 56 million years. Um, and so, you know, my question was, as a sort of, my inner scientist wanted to know, well, why were they so successful? What was it about them that made them more successful than, you know, animals who have since gone extinct? Um, and there's, there's a few reasons. One is that, you know, they're highly, highly adaptable. And we can learn from a lot about how they have managed over 56 million years to be so successful. And when we, when we learn from that um, system then, and we apply it to our, to our lives, to our businesses, to our families and communities, we set ourselves up to be um, as successful as they are. So, so there's a few things at play. One is that they're highly uh, resilient and adaptive. Um, when the environment changes, they change. Um, and this is, you can see this across the, you know, when you look at the paleontology and the fossils and how, you know, the grasslands would change and tectonic, you know, plateaus would shift and geology would shift and climate systems would shift and the horse would shift with it. Um, and they're highly relational as well. So we could say that we domesticated the horse, but what's an interesting perspective is that they, <laughs> they influenced us to want them in their lives. So that, that ensured them, as long as we were partnering with them and we needed them, then we would take care of them. So uh, you could say they dom- we domesticated them, but on another hand, um, they shaped us to keep and take good care of them. Um, but the horse herd is governed not by this um, showy, kind of dominant, mean stallion like we've been like we've seen in Hollywood um you know the the stallions get a lot of attention because they're gregarious and they are sort of you know very dramatic um but that isn't leadership um um we we all sort of chuckle knowingly that that you know that it does get a lot of attention and it gets a lot of attention in, in our in the human counterparts as well but it's not necessarily leadership. Um, 
the leader is chosen based on their ability to be to care for the whole. So the horse who cares the most is selected to be leader and who is also the most present, who is so deeply attuned in, the, in that moment-by-moment moment attunement that they are highly um, sensitive to the changing environment moment-by-moment-by-moment. By moment by moment. So the lead horse is the one who cares the most and who is the most present. So you can imagine if we selected our leaders based on those uh, qualities of being the mm-hmm. most and the most present, how powerful that would be. It tends to be a it tends to be a mare in in wild horse settings. It, it is the mares. In a domestic setting, it depends on whether there is a mare in the herd. Um, in our herd, we have a, a a mare, and it has nothing to do with being you know the most showy or the biggest or the tallest. It has to do with care and presence. She, in fact, um, Artemis is the smallest in our herd, um, but she's the most present and the most caring. And the, there are sort of five, um, and you're, uh, we'll send you a worksheet so you can see this in, in sort of a, a graphic uh, form. There are five pillars, we'll call them pillars, five value systems that are important to the well-being of the herd. And those five are safety, connection, peace, freedom, and joy. So I'll say those again, safety, connection, peace, freedom, and joy. So the whole horse herd evolves and revolves and works around those five principles. And the leaders are in charge of making sure that those five principles stay intact. Um, and so they discipline um, herd members um, by um, making sure that they are behaving properly so that the herd can stay with those five principles. So again, you know, if you, if you take that into a human environment, if we led our organizations by first creating safety, that everybody felt safe, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and psychologically and spiritually, um, when, when people feel safe, their brains are more online. They access more of their creativity. They become more generous. They uh, become more collaborative. So safety is absolutely important to bring out the best in people. Um, and I believe that it's our job as leaders to create conditions where all those things can happen, innovation, joy, um, collaboration, trust, all those things. And part of the way we create those conditions is by creating safety, um, connection. So um, do I feel isolated or do I feel like I have connection with others? Is that connect- connection of shared purpose and meaning? Um, and, and again, connection happens when people feel safe. And peace, you know, are we in an environment of stress and where everything is kind of urgent and emergency and artificial emergency everywhere? Or are we creating uh, an environment where there is peace and, and where if there is some stress, we go back to peace? Um, freedom is an interesting word. It's not freedom from, you know, it's not freedom from my partner or freedom from, you know, the government or freedom from rules. It's freedom to. 
So freedom to express myself, freedom to be creative, freedom to um, have my own authentic um, expression in the world. Um, and if you look at the horse context, I would argue that, you know, some of the wild horses that are, you know, air quotes free, having to struggle for their own survival and, you know, being starving doesn't necessarily mean freedom. So freedom is really mm -hmm. wonderful when everybody feels safe and when their needs are taken care of, then they're truly free to access, you know, their best selves and then joy, which is a, you know, also an interesting word within the context of the workplace because joy happens. Joy isn't like happiness. Joy is something else. Joy, joy happens when, when we access all our emotions, you know, we, to the degree that we feel, we allow ourselves to feel deep grief, we can also feel great joy. So joy happens when, when in an organizational environment or a family environment, when emotions are allowed, when people are allowed to have, to be vulnerable, to have feelings. Because um, I think it was Brene Brown who said, you can't selectively numb out feelings. If you, if you numb out, you know, anger or grief, then you numb out, numb out creativity. So um, yeah. joy happens, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, that is true. Well, that's yeah. interesting because when you're, when you're talking um, so far, you know, this isn't any lead product or service by, you know, of any consulting group to organizations or internal, you know, you talk strategic and alignment and it's words that are completely different when we look mm -hmm. at leadership. Right. Um, you know, maybe communication, <laughs> maybe collaborations like, like, you know, this, these are more core that then the natural derivative derivative are the communication, the, collaboration, the things that organizations are really after anyway. So it's, exactly. it's very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't foster in an organization really great communication skills if everybody's in an amygdala hijack because they don't feel safe. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we focus on these really core sensibilities so that the more positive effects naturally occur. Yeah, it's perfect what you say. And that, that's exactly how it works. So when people come and work with the horses, the horses, um, they don't think, oh, here come, you know, 12 people that don't have fur and they're on two legs. So therefore the rules that apply to them don't apply to, or apply to us don't apply to them. Um, for a horse, the horse doesn't, separate like that. If you're in their midst and they've determined that you're not a predator, well, then it's incumbent upon them naturally to teach everybody in their midst to be inside this kind of culture so that you are, you are not a hindrance to the herd. In other words, they'll teach you to be present because if you're not present, well, then you could actually slow things down inside the herd, right? So it's really mm -hmm. fascinating to watch the horses. They'll model, um, you know, these five values. Um, they will um, reflect back things that are important for a person to see about themselves or about a particular action. And then they'll actually instruct. You'll watch them instruct people. I just wonder if you remember yeah. anything for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I just remember, there was a couple of things I remember 
Um, and we did have some people that were apprehensive about, you know, just being in an arena with a large animal. You know, they just had not sure. been around animals. But I remember one person um, specifically that was very fearful. She was not going to be successful. Like she was going to fail. It wasn't going to go well. And even though she didn't walk up and say, hey, horse, I'm really fearful, she walked in with confidence. She obeyed what she was told to do, you know, by, by what the exercise was. But the horse, even though she was saying maybe the same thing as something else, they sensed what was going on beneath the surface. Right. And so it was so interesting because she feared, you know, that they would not, uh, you know, she was not going to be successful. And they would hardly even even stay by her. She would go up and they would move away from her. And I just mm-hmm. remember, like, there was things like that that happened a lot. And and then as humans, you know, we were trying to to complete an exercise and we would say it over and over or try to make a noise or, or you know, pull a horse. And, and really, you know, if you really learn what the exercise is about, you really didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> they, would, right. they would follow the energy, which it was like, it, right. was, just, it was very fascinating. It was very right. fascinating, but we're so ingrained to push in, you know, we, I think we think as lead as something that, you know, it's a pushing or a telling or a something. And sometimes it's a being, it was more of a being than anything with them. So it was very interesting. Yeah. I love that you say that because it really is, you know, to use very bad English, who you be is way more powerful than what you do because who who you be informs the doing. And people see this all the time where they, you know, they, let's say they want the horse to take a few steps with them and they're doing all the right actions. Like if you, you know, took a film of the person, yeah. the, the physical right actions, but inside they didn't believe they could make it happen or inside they had some ambivalence about, you know, why should I tell this horse to do this? Or who am I to ask this horse to do this? Or inside they think, well, um, yeah, I'll never make this happen. And that's what the horse is listening to. As soon as they shift yeah. internal right clarity, the, they do the exact same thing as they did on the outside, but this time the horse follows. And it teaches people the inner game, the real inner game, all those invisibles that lie behind this human form that are so, mm-hmm. so powerful, that, that change the tone in their voice, that change you know, we pretend or we imagine or we haven't been taught that those invisibles are real, that they have an impact across time and space um, because we can't see them and we can't measure them. We think they don't exist, but they really do exist. So, yeah. 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 It it was really interesting. I think we, I'm I'm interested now if other groups have this. We have a lot of people that have reached in that group that when we visited that really have really reached the kind of the top of their game professionally. You know, they're leading organizations, they're leading divisions, and I think a lot of them, you know, are are wanting to know what what's fulfillment, what is it to be on purpose, and do I even have a purpose and so there, it was this like in search of kind of mission. And after that experience, what was so powerful 
is most of them would share what was who they are being or maybe they are right where they're supposed to be. It's not something outside of them that they go search and go, oh, I found it. Um, right. it, it was a very interesting experience around that purpose and um, following their passion. We did a lot about passion, and mm-hmm. um, it was really interesting. It, it, it was far less about what they're doing than mm-hmm. who they're being, and and they looked at that. So I don't know. I, I would be interested to see if you see that with other groups or people that come through or, or what, what some results that people have by coming through one of your programs. Yeah. Well, um, and what was really exciting just to continue on your thread there was that everybody came away with their own definition for themselves about what passion was and what passion was for their own lives. Like they didn't come yeah. up with like yeah. something that was external. It was all like deeply meaningful and purposeful for their life and their professional life. Um, well, let's see. I mean, there, a couple of things come to mind when you're talking. One is that what we're beginning to see here is that there are many, many successful people who have sort of surfed to the end of their internet. And in other words, you know, they went to the Ivy Leagues, they they, they, they're raising their family. They're up there in the nosebleed section of senior leadership. They're really, they've really done it. And they kind of come to the edge and say, there's got to be something more than this, but they don't know what that is. That's mm-hmm. one trend we're starting to see. We're also starting to see um, sort of similar, but a little bit different where senior leadership is saying, okay, we've done everything by the book. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've done it all. We're making it all happen, but still because the world is changing so rapidly and the challenges are happening and firing so fast, we, we don't know how to navigate this organization now. We don't have the tools. We have all the tools that we were taught in business school or whatever the latest best-selling book is, but that isn't, helping. We need something altogether different. We need a total game change. Um, so it's kind of these two places that people end up coming to Equus because they've exhausted everything else. And they're looking, they're looking for something that is deep and purposeful and meaningful and is really going to make a difference, not just in their life, but in somebody else's life um, and in their organization's life. And they, I think, some of them are a little fatigued with business as usual. Um, they're a little uh, fatigued with um, leadership, being a leader, costing them. A lot of them are exhausted. <laughs> they don't want yeah. to yeah. burn the candle at both ends, but they still know that they have, a, you know, they feel very driven to make a difference in the world. So, um it, we tend to attract very high performers who are ready to, uh, you know, it, th- now we get into a place where it's very hard to speak about this because we get into language that, you know, fails us, but they're, they're wanting to turn inward and find the soul of their work. And I, and, and I mean, sort of, yeah, I yeah. think Parker Palmer calls it, um, you know, their, you know, their true vocation, capital T, capital V. 
that will that will carry them until they're 90, right? That even if they're no longer showing up in an office, their their life is an expression of everything about who they are and and the gifts that they want to carry. And this this idea of like work in life, you know, or retirement versus non-retirement, like all these polarities are starting to melt because, um, yeah, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I so. think, I think that like being able to connect with some of the executives that were there with our group after, you know, after, months mm-hmm. after we've been there, I think what's really been interesting is, is they're letting their foot off the gas pedal enough to know it's not about better strategy, smarter people, new products, um, different mission. You know, it's it's not about those business tactics. It's mm-hmm. more about connecting with the people that they have in their organization. Because it's really mm-hmm. easy to talk about our people are our best asset, but mm-hmm. but to really play that out and to yeah. con- as the the top leader to connect with the people in a different way to listen what happens is the natural outcome is you get more creativity and innovation and better strategy. And because you're relating, you know, it's, it's, you're not trying to do it all at a top level and you really are so far from the trenches of where things are happening. So I, that kind of language is happened, but I think that what they all would say is things started changing when I started changing, you know, when I mm-hmm. did this yes. work or went yes. internal. I think um, Marshall Goldsmith yes. has the book of, uh, uh, I know I'm going to get it wrong, but like what gets you to a certain level in the organization will not keep you there. So climbing that ladder to the C-suite, what it takes to do that is a completely different level of skills and mastery what's going to keep you oh, in that totally. top position. Exactly. And yes. I think... And I think what you do is really help people, um, and you don't really teach it. That's what I loved about you, which also made me nervous. Is it's not like you teach that, and it's like here's all the concepts and five points and fill in the blank. It's an experience, and until like, yeah. people experience it within their own stuff, they didn't yeah. get it. You know, it wasn't as powerful. So, right? I, right. Yeah, I right. love so. Well, I know people are going to want to connect with you um, and want to continue to follow your work and what you do. And you have articles you write, and I know you have a newsletter. Give uh, our listeners ways to connect with you. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, website is Equus. The word Equus is Latin for horse, so it's Equus, E-Q-U-U-S, equusinspired.com is is our website and there they can subscribe um to the articles in the newsletter we do not inundate we i mean i'm lucky if i get an article a month out and then we do one newsletter a month which basically has whatever's lighting us up right now our favorite book our favorite poetry our favorite tip um and what i think i'm going to do is send a pdf of the latest article i wrote which was called um getting ahead by leading from behind and a lot of people. Really yeah, love that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll do a PDF of that and it has, you know, the website there and then I'll do send a PDF of the 
five pillars with the care and presence and how that kind of how that dynamic works. So those are just two little takeaways that'll be, you know, easy and fun to have. So Thank that's you, the Annie. To me, yeah. And yes. Annie, um, why don't you talk a little bit about how people can outsource uh, these gifts that she's going to give? So uh, yeah. we'll make sure that the listeners are able to um, get the, get access to these. Yeah, so um, for these, we're going to put it up on our uh, Leader Spotlight podcast website, and you can access that link um, in the episode notes uh, below the podcast, wherever you're listening. Okay. All right. And then the last question we asked, Kelly, is the quote of show me your four closest friends or colleagues and I'll show (laughs) you your future. So on that note, I want to ask, who are your four? I love you have to this narrow it down. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. I can't narrow it down. Um, I love this question. So um, this is what I came up with. Um, the first who comes to mind is a gentleman named um, Bob Randall, and he is a the listed custodial elder of Uluru in Australia. And um, the elders go by the, the term uncle if it's a, a gentleman. So Uncle Bob um, is my first. He taught me, Uncle Bob taught me that the connection that we have with all of life, the trees, the birds, the animals, the land, the earth, each other, um, is just our birthright. It's nothing, it's not spiritual. He doesn't use that word. Um, it's, just, it's just physics. It's just the way it is. And he taught me to really see it and just take that on for myself. So he's, the, he's one. Um, the other I grouped into family, which includes my mother and my kids. My kids have taught me how to be a better person. Absolutely. Hands down. How to really mm-hmm. love somebody, you know, based on how they need to be loved rather than how I think they need to be loved. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Uh, and, yes. I can relate. I love that. Yeah, love is a verb. It's something that you do. And it, if it doesn't feel like love to them, then that's not really love. So, um, and my mother, who is a two-time cancer survivor, who um, she's 82. She was a TWA flight attendant back in the day when it was really um, courageous to take a step like that as a young woman. And um, yeah, she just she is just one of the most optimistic people I know. And she has never, ever, ever let her life's challenges stop her. And that's what she's taught me. Um, my partner, Scott, um, also makes me a better person and has taught me how to coach better and how to really manifest my dreams. Um, very powerful um, to teach me and show me how, you know, my intention will really, really create things and how to harness that. And, um, and then last would be the horses. They are my absolute hundred percent teachers. They've taught me everything we talked about today. And, um, and I am always humbled by what they continue to teach me every day. So that's it for me. Well, and I love being a student of the horses. It was, it was really fascinating it was really fascinating. So I encourage anyone that is looking for something to do with your team or maybe it's just a personal experience is really to mm. get to Santa Fe and experience what you have because it was truly, truly remarkable. 
Well, thank you. But you showed up, you know, you showed up so with so much openness and curiosity, like you're such a learner, which is just, you know, it, it benefits everybody and it benefited the horses too. So I've had to do with you as well. So thanks, Annette. You are welcome. Well, that is all we have. Anything else you want to add, Kelly or Annie? We got to get Annie to visit. She would love, yes. yeah, she would love yeah. your place. <laughs> I actually, I lived in Santa Fe for a little bit, and I uh, absolutely loved it. It's so beautiful there, and uh, you know, I've been wanting to go back and visit. So if I do, I now you know have another reason to go hang out with some horses. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We would welcome you, Annie. Be terrific. Aww, we welcome anybody and everybody. It's a beautiful campus. We're right next door to Rancho Encantado Four Seasons, so people okay, can walk yeah. It's like ten minutes, you know, door to door. So it makes a really nice, seamless retreat scenario. And um, and thank you so much again for this opportunity. I really loved sharing about the work that that we do. here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaders Spotlight. Make sure to visit our website, AnnetteKlazowski.com forward slash Leaders Spotlight, where you can find resources mentioned on this show, as well as past episodes. Check for new episodes of Leaders Spotlight every Friday, or better yet, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leaders Spotlight.